Hey everyone, and welcome to the Homicide Homegirls podcast, a true crime podcast examining the true crime cases that fascinate and intrigue us. I'm Amanda. And I'm Arielle. Thanks Thanks for for joining us. us. We can't wait to share the details of this riveting episode with you. Hey, hey, homeboys and homegirls. Hey guys. We are officially back. I hope everyone enjoyed our bloopers episode. Um, We thoroughly enjoyed that episode. Yes. For sure. And it was a nice trip down memory lane for us. Right. But now we're back at it with a case that I sort of hold very near and dear to me. Today we're going to talk about the unsolved murder of Joshua Woodruff. This case was recommended by a listener, uh, Mandy S. from New Orleans. And when she recommended this case to us, I immediately became saddened because on the night that Joshua was killed... I happened to be ringing in the new year with my fellow dispatchers just 33 miles away and I heard the horrific details that were unfolding on another dispatch channel. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so... So like, even though y'all weren't in the same parish, like, do y'all typically get like other areas calls? It just depends what system they're on. Most of them we can. Like Kenner PD, we couldn't. JP, we couldn't. Jefferson Parish? Yes, Jefferson Parish. For people not from right. here. <laughs> um, um, because where he was located, it was a state highway, mm-hmm. and New Orleans and Laplace, which is where I was dispatching, fall under the same troop division. So we we're both like under... state. Right, so okay. it was Louisiana State Police Troop B. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the general region, mm-hmm. and they we... we we communicate with them if we have like a pursuit or something. So we all, that's one of the main channels. And it was on that channel that you heard it. Okay. I was just curious. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Important. Yeah. So the details of this episode are extremely graphic and gruesome. So listener discretion is advised. All right. Let's, let's go. So Joshua Woodruff was a 28 year old Harvard graduate from Omaha, Nebraska. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Like Harvard, for sure. And he lived in San Francisco, California, um, where... Actually, I've read, like, L.A. and San Francisco. Are Mm -hmm. they close? Not really. I don't think so. Either way. It said... So it said, like, an L.A. executive... But other places said San Francisco. But anyways, um, he was the director of customer strategy for Soylent, which was a nutrition company. Hmm. He was described as a man with countless friends who put others and God before himself. Hmm. His sister, Heather, explained that he was the best at getting people to talk about what was really on their heart. Hmm. And he was just universally loved and likable. So... Joshua could have chosen anywhere in the world to celebrate the New Year's holiday, Mm -hmm. but he ended up in New Orleans, Louisiana. Unfortunately, that cost him his life. And he he was here with friends. Um, Okay. I was going to ask that. Um, I hate that, I think it was um, some, I don't know if it was undergrad or if it was Harvard graduates, but it was some some of his other buddies he went to college with. I just, I hate that that happened. Like, that... Especially in New Orleans because it's so, like, it's our state. But, like, that you choose to go celebrate. And live your life. Right. Or anywhere. And, you know. And And tragic things happen. Just wrong place, wrong time kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So, you know, it really makes you wonder if, like, you know, I'm a big believer in, like, fate and everyone has, like, your time to go. I was about to say that. Like, 
Like well, so, like maybe if he would have been in a different city, he would have, you know, something else would have happened to him. I know. So, I hate that because of what happened to him was right. so tragic. I feel like it, it wasn't his time. Right. But I do believe, you know, it's 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 a battle. Like, right. um, I do believe that everybody's got their time. When it's your time to go, it's gonna happen. But I feel like his wasn't fair. Right. So. On January 1st, 2016, shortly after 3 a.m., near the intersection of Decatur Street and Domaine Street, Joshua Woodruff was struck by a vehicle as he <gasps> waited near the sidewalk for his Uber to arrive. Oh my god. After Joshua was struck, his body was dragged for over six miles <gasps> through the French Quarter and ultimately across the Mississippi River Bridge. Oh my god, it, I know that, but it's just hearing it. Mm-hmm. it oh. Yeah. It was, it's it's I, rough. Like, literally would not wish that on the worst enemy. Mm-hmm. Like, that just sounds horrible. According to WWL, his friends and others in the crowd witnessed the crash <gasps> and said the vehicle never stopped, and they could hear Woodruff's body trapped under the vehicle as it drove away. Yeah, my... My jaw is literally on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I know about this story. I don't know. When I was researching this case, I was like, how can somebody drive six miles and not know? But from what, after after I was done researching, the, like witnesses say there's no way they, he couldn't have known. Unless but he was that impaired. Yeah. Impaired. I mean, I, it, maybe the person hit him and freaked out and didn't, but I mean. A hit and run is bad enough, but to, to mm-hmm. drag someone's body with, I don't even want to like say it because that's so, it's so horrific. Yes. Um, the vehicle that struck him was a black or dark colored unknown four-door sedan with tinted windows. I'm definitely going to post pictures of the suspect vehicle, mm-hmm. but some say it looks like a Toyota Camry or a Nissan Altima. Mm-hmm. And I've looked at the pictures, and it's so hard to see. They're very blurry. Um, they're, it, it, I mean, it, the car was probably going so fast that it's like, you know, when you take a picture of something that's moving, it's like a blur. Uh-huh. And you guys will see what we're talking about. And it about. was dark. And it was dark, you know. I mean, it was 3 a.m. Yeah, I have so. plenty of pictures to um, share. And I will die on this hill. We need better CCTV footage mm-hmm. because I am... Hundred percent, like, like solid in my belief that had we had better pictures, mm-hmm. we would have known the exact make and model of that car, mm-hmm. and potentially even had a license plate. Mm-hmm. Because I have seen a lot, you know, the Camry and the Nissan Altima, and I told you this last night, but I sent the pictures to a guy that we both know who's like, he sells cars and he's super into he's cars. He's a car nerd. Yeah, he's. Yeah, like a super, super car nerd. And um, he said it, he thought that it was like an older model Accord. Like, or even like mid 2000s Accord or like a Kia Optima. Yeah. So, and that's coming from somebody who's. I don't like see a it. Super and I'm, I'm usually like, if somebody, I've said this in another episode, if somebody's following me in my rear view and it's night and I can see their headlights, you know what kind I can, of I know exactly see, what kind of. I am, I don't know. I think it's just because I'm an observant person. Mm-hmm. But so I, am I. But, but I'm same just thing with taillights. Like, so, I mean, I'm not saying 100%, but I'm like 97%. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what it is. Yeah. I, I did. And truthfully, I do see a Camry. Mm-hmm. And I had a Camry. Mm hmm. 
I think it was like a I had like a twenty I think I had a twenty thirteen camera. Mm-hmm. So I think it was probably a little not the same not gen. the same gen yeah, maybe like the family the earlier yeah. generation. Yeah. So I I think it was a Camry. But right. you, know, you can be it, it just you depends. can be the judge yeah. for yourself. Like I said, the, the the footage is very grainy, it's very blurry. Blur- it's like a like a flash of light. Right. You right. know. So as the suspect vehicle was crossing the Crescent City Connection Bridge, Joshua Which is Highway 90, right? Is, it, it, there's it has so many, like it, a bridge. It's Highway main. 90. It's the Pontchartrain Expressway. It. I mean, some and this is the bridge that goes, goes over across the Mississippi, the Mississippi. Okay. from like, the east bank of New Orleans to the west. So bank. like downtown, French Quarter area, New Orleans mm-hmm. to like CBD area. CBD, which is like slide towards Slidell. Or nope. No, no, completely opposite. Different. Gretna, right? Yes, Gretna. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Algiers. And if no one is anyone who is not from Louisiana, you will have no idea. What a we're lot of people about. that are from Louisiana don't know. So, right. And I only know this because I used to Uber. So, right. I used to drive. So, I, I'm. I didn't know that before. But, um, so, Crescent City Connection Bridge is also known as US 90, um, Pontchartrain Expressway. Some people call it I-10, even though it splits and I-10 goes towards Slidell, which we were thinking. Okay. And then, um, some call it the GNO, which is the Greater New Orleans Bridge. So it just depends. So they were going to the West Bank. They were going to the West Bank from the French Quarter, right. which we call the the wank. Yes. <laughs> Sorry for anybody. Who's yeah. The wank. No offense. <laughs> but others say the West Bank is the best bank. So, teach his own. Right. So, as the vehicle was crossing, the CCC Crescent City Co- Connection Bridge, Joshua Woodruff's body was dislodged from the vehicle just before the General De Gaulle exit. Which is like the first exit mm-hmm. once you get on the West Bank. Right. And it's 9A, right? Exit 9A? I think so. Yeah. Um, it, that one out there, I never got off on that exit. It, it, there's so many different, like, when you it, were, like, like, like spaghetti all over the place. Yeah. I was looking at the Google Maps earlier and I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. Um, but after that, um, so his disfigured body <gasps> was discovered in the middle oh. of the road on the main highway by a passing motorist. Can, can you imagine? Just like driving and seeing a body, and I mean, what if they, you were in that lane? Do they know that he wasn't struck again, or they aren't sure? Or? Well, I can tell you that the streets in New Orleans are horrible. Mm-hmm. There's pothole after pothole, so there is no telling if somebody hit how mangled, you know, or if somebody hit him and thought they hit a pothole if it was so dark. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty well lit on that bridge. Is it? Okay. Yeah. See, I'm not super familiar with yeah, that area. But I can tell you about Baton Rouge. Yeah, but, but I mean, if somebody was in that lane, mm-hmm. like, the person who finally called it in, like, what if they... What time? Do we, Do you know what time they called it in? I think it was around 3.30. Oh, so it was not, like, like I think he got hit... At three, you said around three. It was right after three. Yeah. I want to say it might have been three fifteen. Okay, so then the chances of him being hit like a second time are probably pretty slim. It's just because based on my knowledge of the distance between like the French Quarter and yeah. the and the West Bank, which is n- not a lot to be it, completely honest it's with really you, not. that that span of time is probably right for like i don't know it depends you know? because there's a lot like on new year's eve and new year's that's morning, true there's a lot of new orleans is lit like oh yeah you true. know there's a lot of people there's and he very may, may well have been could have could have been hit just by somebody else who was drunk because i'm telling you i don't go anywhere on new year's eve because i 
I know that I'm not gonna drive any break, but it's everybody else I have to worry about. And mm-hmm. I just I just don't I'm not it's I'm uneasy about it. Yeah. So I just don't go anywhere. Not not you don't go anywhere to Orleans, you just don't go anywhere at all. Basically. Are you talking about New Orleans? No, I'm talking about in general on, on drinking oh. holidays. Oh, right. I just won't go anywhere. Right. Um because of instances like this. A year after Joshua's death, the New Orleans Police Department released a composite sketch of a person of interest, which we will post a picture of, and authorities believe the suspect is a black man between the ages of 18 and 24, short with braids and a green wing tattoo on the Hmm. left side of his neck. I have no idea how they have obtained this. Yeah, I was wondering. Because it had tinted windows. I mean, you guys can see for yourself. You can't. See, you can't see in the windows. I don't know how. Or unless a witness. Unless they know more than they're saying. The, Which is likely. Know, yes. Because a lot of. They could have very well gotten, you know, surveillance footage of somebody walking to that car. Well, a lot of, I mean, that's common. You know, a lot of police will do that. They won't release everything because they, wanna they want to have something they, that. They want. Right. Like, so say there's something that they've never, ever released. And this is common. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if, if. A suspect comes into their questioning and they bring up something that they've never ever right. released. It's, it's like, well, there's your you flag. know, mm-hmm. either someone from the police department told you, or you're the person who did it, mm-hmm. or you were at least there, or you you know the person, right? Or so, yeah, they told you. So, um, in November of 2017, the NOPD released new, never before seen images tracing the path of the vehicle and driver sought in the hit and run and the images of the vehicle believed to be involved or hoped to encourage anyone who may have witnessed the hit and run that evening to come forward and provide information that would be beneficial to the investigation. And do we know if anyone ever came forward? Mm-mm. Not that we know of. We've, um, they haven't said. Well, Crime stoppers have gotten uh, record tips. On, on him. Mm-hmm. There's billboards too, and I'm sure you're gonna talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen them. record tips like yeah. over 100 for the area, like, and that was back then. Like yeah. that, I don't know what the updated number is. Right. Nothing that led to anything. But the pictures were collected from security cameras in the French Quarter along his suspected route, mm-hmm. mainly Ursulines, Dauphine, and Charter Streets. Mm-hmm. Which that's what they did. And I forget what maybe episode sixteen was. Is that what Mickey Shunick and Lisa Pate? Maybe I think it was episode sixteen, but somewhere around there. But that's what they did with her. Like they pieced everything, pieced everything they, together. Like, it's almost like, like a timeline, right? Like they tra- they checked cameras along what would have been her route home, and mm-hmm. that's how they found you know that. So I'm assuming that's you know like you said they did the same thing. Mm-hmm. They traced all the different routes from where he was hit to where he was found. There's plenty of cameras in yeah. that area too. Um, so the suspected route that the driver took was as follows. Um, Joshua was struck near Decatur and Domain. Um, he then traveled the wrong way down Madison from Decatur. Yeah, and if you've ever been to New Orleans, there are a lot of one-way streets. Yes, and I've, I was really impressed that I've only done it like once or twice. Like in, once intentionally, like but the other times were like, whoops, my yeah, bad. Right. Like I thought I was gonna be. I hate driving in New Orleans. Oh, I so hate on my streets. And I was actually impressed myself when I was an Uber driver that. Oh, 
only did it accidentally, like not on purpose once. So from Madison Avenue where he was traveling the wrong way, mm -hmm. he took a right on a Tartar Street. And from there, he took a left onto Ursuline and then a right onto Burgundy. Next, he took a left onto Barracks and then a right onto Rampart. Mm -hmm. He then turned left onto Esplanade and traveled all the way down to take a left onto North Claiborne, which is 90, I'm pretty sure. Like, it, 90 has so many different names. Um, he then traveled to Orleans Avenue, which is where he got onto the I-10 US-90. And traveled ramp. to yes. the off-ramp where his body so was found. Yes, exactly. And we're going to post a map of this because I know this doesn't mean anything it to anyone. It was so confusing for Ariana. I said, I oh, my God. This took us like an hour to do it. Yeah, it was a two-person. To try to figure out. Because, of course, like when on Google Maps, you know, you can change your route. Mm -hmm. But then when you've got... You're going the op he's going the wrong way on Madison. They don't suggest that. They don't suggest that, right? So it's like really hard to make it do that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, I need it. I need it. She needed an assist with yes. that one. So two years after Joshua's death on January second, twenty eighteen, WGNO shared an article with a flyer, with a message as if Joshua Joshua had written it himself. And I've seen this one. It's it's haunting. So the flyer read, quote, do you know me? You should. You took my life in the early hours of January 1st, 2016. I'm Josh Woodruff. I was the one standing at the intersection of Decatur and Domain Streets in the French Quarter around 3 a.m. You were driving a black sedan with tinted windows. You struck me with your vehicle, but after hitting me, you didn't stop. You may have panicked. I get it. I may have too. Maybe that explains why after hitting me, you didn't stop. Not only did you not stop, you dragged my body under your car, zigzagging through the streets of the French Quarter, apparently in an attempt to dislodge my body. When that didn't work, you drove your vehicle across the Mississippi River Bridge with me still underneath. Six miles you dragged me. Six miles. It looks as though the NOPD is getting closer to identifying you, but I thought maybe you just may want to clear your conscience and turn yourself in. Not so much for my sake, because I'm no longer here but for the sake of my parents and my siblings who grieve for me every day. They deserve closure in this nightmare. Please think about it. Josh Woodruff. End quote. And then at the bottom of the flyer, it said, perhaps you were on Domain Street that night. They had a lot of people out. After all, it was New Year's Eve or actually New Year's Day, the last day of Josh's life. I know. I am not okay. Like... I've seen this flyer and I've read it, but hearing it, I mm -hmm. guess, like, and imagining him making this plea. Because mm -hmm. can you imagine, like, his last moments had to have been so horrendous. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if I see it. I said he was trying to flag down an Uber, but, like, his friends, um, like, he told his friends to stay, like, like that he just walked up a little bit to catch you know, like half a block to, to like flag down who he was looking for, like his driver. I can't imagine being the killer and living with that because that, I, I don't know if y'all could tell, but I, I mean, I teared up. I had, I was mm -hmm. like crying as Amanda read this yeah. and I cannot imagine being the actual person that 
hit him and, and murdered him mm-hmm. and just reading that and going on about your everyday life I know. either you've somehow compartmentalized it or you're just a really horrible human being right like there, and he was so full of life so it's just so <sighs> so on September 28th 2018 which was Josh's 31st birthday Josh's mother Karen published an article on medium.com mm-hmm. and I'll, I have to read the whole thing um it kind of is not it's different from her other pleas her so it, it just kind of levels with her I guess I don't know um uh, so the article read that it was titled a thousand days gone by Karen Woodruff quote some moments are frozen in time suspended in midair like a trapeze artist whose gravity has forgotten set apart with no hinge to events preceding it or to those that had been planned for the future my future plans if you could call them plans would forever be shaped and distorted by this moment i woke up on new year's day at 6:28 a.m i remember the time because i was disgusted that even on new year's with a free day ahead of me i woke up unnecessarily early my husband who is an olympic caliber sleeper was of course asleep I stared at the ceiling thinking about grabbing my phone for a quick read of anything, hoping it would help me drift back to sleep. My husband's phone rang. If I had had time to think about it, I would have braced myself, but it was too early for clear thinking. My husband picked up the phone and I could hear our oldest son talking loudly. Dad, he said, are you awake? Put mom on the phone too. I'm here, I said. I remember a few words that he said, Josh the name of his younger brother, New Orleans, where Josh was with his friends to celebrate New Year's. I think he said car, maybe police. I'm not sure. I am sure he said Josh is dead. Josh, my youngest son, dead. Josh, my youngest son, dead? This is the moment suspended in reality. The moment that unhinged us from the life we thought we had and hurled us into the life we didn't want. I think I screamed. No, I'm sure that I screamed. I detangled myself from the blankets that had kept me warm and ran to hold on to the only tangible pieces I had of him. Across the hall was his old room, the one he had lived in during high school and he had just been in a few days earlier. He and the rest of our family, children with their families and grandparents were all hooded together into our house for what we thought was a few days to celebrate Christmas, but in hindsight was to celebrate our last few days with Josh. I buried my head in his clothes and breathed in. I could still smell him on some of his old clothes left behind. I was too far away to hear Ben's voice on the phone. Months later, my husband told me that he screamed after me, Mommy. And so a life began that I have at times hated. I hate being alive without Josh's friendship. I hate thinking about what he would be doing if he was alive. I hate knowing that his life was truncated by some negligent and evil person who did not stop when he hit him and instead dragged him through the streets of New Orleans for six cruel miles. I hate not hearing his voice, his laughter, and perhaps selfishly, hearing his love for us. He was the one who could tell when I was sad or disappointed, or dare I I say it as a mother, depressed. He had discernment and courage and love that covered a multitude of sins. He was no saint, but in the midst of being a person emerging into adulthood with all its flaws and ugliness, he knew how to love and care. 
On the inside, my life has been unhinged since 6.30 a.m. that New Year's Day, 2016, three hours after Josh breathed his last. On the outside, I think that I appear normal, a mother grieving but not as displaced from the world and this life as I feel on the inside. On the outside, I am participating, talking, eating, laughing, but on the inside, I am elsewhere. I am drawn down an alley of thoughts or even something less formed than thoughts. Feelings, perhaps? A sense? I know it is about Josh, but if you ask me to describe what I am thinking, I couldn't describe it to you in English words. My inner self hears a language that doesn't have an English translation. I was told that prior to being killed, Josh was walking down the street with two friends. New Year's Eve celebration was over for them, and they decided to head back to house to the house of the friend they were staying with for the few days. He was with his best friends, the college gang who lived together for four years. They had forged a bond that would carry many of them to work for the same startup and live together in LA. Josh had called an Uber, and the three of them walked down the street to find their ride. The driver couldn't find them. I found out later that the driver was a recent Uber hire and very likely was not a local. He had come from another state for reasons that I cannot go into here in the interest of and respect for an ongoing investigation. The driver didn't know where the intersection of Decatur and Demade in the French Quarter was. He couldn't locate Josh and his friends. Josh called him and then saw as he was approaching. He told his friends he would flag him down. The police told me that Josh stepped into the crosswalk. His friends told me he waved his arms so that the driver could see him. And then, from where we do not know, a car pulled out and hit Josh. He didn't fly off the hood. He was not run over. The car pulled him under. He was attached to the undercarriage of the vehicle. People heard the impact and heard Josh's body being dragged. The driver did not stop. He dragged him for six miles through the French Quarter and over the bridge to the West Bank and dislodged his dead body by the Charles de Gaulle exit. Another driver sometime later saw Josh's body and called the police. The official cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head, which means his head was hit with a force hard enough to kill him. I assume the blunt force trauma happened when his head hit the pavement moments after the car hit him and pulled him under the car's underbody. The NOPD were nice enough to tell me that Josh probably didn't know what happened, that he died quickly, but that is all guesswork. He could have died any time during that six-mile drag through New Orleans. I wonder if he felt the pain of the car dragging him through the streets. Did he know what was happening? Was his last emotion fear or terror? Did he know he was dying? Was the pain so intense that he had to let go of life? The not knowing hangs over me and I cannot let it go. Especially today. Today, September 28th, Josh's birthday. He would have been 31. We have survived a thousand days since he was killed. A thousand days gone, my dear son. Every one of those days, I have fiercely missed you. The driver who killed you is still out there driving. He or she was never found, and no one has come forward to say, we know who did this. You, who believed in the best in everyone, would be surprised by this silence. And I, who had to tell you some of the hard truths about life, would tell you, unfortunately, it is true. The day that you died, your brother and sister-in-law were in New York. Your sister and brother-in-law were in Honduras. By midnight, they were all home with Dad and me. Day one of our thousand days without you. End quote. 
I know. I, uh, God. There that is, is like no other God, article. That is like that was that transparent. God, my heart breaks for this woman mm-hmm. and his whole family, but especially her. Like, especially as a mother, like mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. Please don't judge me because I'm literally <laughs> crying. But like, oh my God, I know. Like I thought her article was so raw. Right. That I had to read it. Right. Um. So Josh's killer remains at large, despite having 60 surveillance cameras. Oh my gosh. Authorities have been unable to get a clear picture of the license plate displayed on the suspect vehicle. If it even had one. I mean, there's a chance it may yeah. not have two. The current Crime Stoppers reward is $5,000. With every new year that rolls around, we get a very minimal update, usually from Josh's mother pleading for someone to come forward in hopes of making an arrest. Sorry, I'm sniffling. I'm still crying. (laughs) Joshua's mother, Karen, said the worst part is not having a marker or a memorial to go to where she could grieve her son. Joshua's mother... um, Because they're in Omaha? Nebraska. Yeah, so they're not... I mean, I'm sure they laid him to rest in Nebraska, but you know what I mean. Well, yeah, but like... Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I was just asking. Well, because she... I guess she doesn't know exactly at what point he he died. I don't... You know? Oh, right. And they... I mean, they're not here. Yeah. Either. Joshua's mother's first and last memory of Joshua from 2016 is a heartwarming text he sent to her saying, quote, Before the night gets going, I just want you to know how ridiculously thankful I am for you. End quote. Josh's mom replied with, quote, We're so thankful for the life you bring to us and to our family. Stay safe, end quote. Mm-hmm. I need therapy. Like, this is so <laughs> I know, sad. Right? This, I mean, obviously, all of our cases are sad, but this one is, like, mm-hmm. on another level of sad. I don't... Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, enough of that. <laughs> if, if you'd like to remain... Informed of the progress of Joshua's case, you can follow two groups on Facebook. Um, the first one is Remembering Joshua Woodruff, and the other is Find Josh's Killer. Previously, the Crime Stoppers reward had reached fifty thousand dollars, but that reward has since expired. Okay. Like I said, the current reward is five thousand. I was wondering. I didn't realize they like expired. It was fifteen, and then it went up to fifty, and yeah. then it was only good for a year. Oh, okay. I didn't realize there was like a timeline. I didn't either. Kind of I didn't either. So, Crime Stoppers has received more than one hundred tips, but none have helped crack the case. Right. And we were talking earlier, and isn't that like the most tips like New Orleans Crime Stoppers has ever gotten? Yeah, it was record at, tips. It was a record at that yeah. time. I mean, who knows now? But at right. that time. Um, I just thought that was interesting. Maybe it was, like, for a single case in oh, X okay. amount of time. Right. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. So, if you have any information that could lead investigators to apprehend the murder of Joshua Woodruff, we urge you to call Crime Stoppers of Greater New Orleans at 504-837-8477. And you can also contact Detective Robert Barre of the NOPD Homicide Division at 504 504- Six five eight five three zero zero, or at R B A R R E R E at nola.gov. And 
I'm just gonna take it. I apologize for me sniffling this entire time. <laughs> um, I apologize for me sniffling like this entire time, but um, I don't know. This one just really got me. I don't. I I think the article or for that his mom, mom wrote. She's a, like I've read a couple. She's very well. Well, I don't want to say well spoken, but like she writes. Yeah. She's very eloquent. Mm-hmm. Like I read another writes. article and. Um, same thing she yeah. I mean it just it's like she captivates you and she pulls you in and she makes you feel what she's feeling well that's the case of the unsolved murder of Joshua Woodruff and please if any especially because we're like a local podcast right. I mean if anyone knows please call yeah you, you may not think that right your tidbit is big enough you might think it's a grain of sand when it could really be a mountain Exactly. Yeah, like, a lot of cases have been solved by, you know, some tip coming in with, they, they were like, oh, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't think this was important, but then you don't realize what else the cops have, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. That could be if, that missing puzzle piece. Right, so again, please, we implore you, if you know anything, please come forward, and um, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys see you next, time. next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Homicide Homegirls. If you enjoyed today's episode, head on over to our Facebook page and leave us a review or rate us on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you want to be the first to know when an episode is released, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Homicide Homegirls, Facebook at facebook.com slash Homicide Homegirls Podcast, and Twitter at Homegirls Pod. If you would like to suggest an episode, Use the form located on our Facebook page. Once a month, we plan to answer fan-submitted questions in a segment we like to call hashtag AskTheHomeGirls. So be sure to use the form on our Facebook page to submit your questions. 